Today on the No Study on the Sideline Dad Podcast, episode number 74. On this episode, how can a tiny mouse make Christmas fun and change what you think about Christmas? Also, I share a really cool game you can play with your family during the holiday season. So all goes also be a really good stocking stuffer. I'll share that next on the podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Hey, my name is Joe Foley. I want to thank you for being here. If this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. This is about a podcast, but a journey of discovery. In this episode, we're going to talk about Christmas. Christmas kind of feeling to this episode. Next up, my guest, Jenny Deason Copeland. She's a returning guest. Jenny's written, wrote a lot of books, many books covered from fiction to nonfiction. Today, I want to talk about a mouse keeper's Christmas. It's kind of like Elf on the Shelf, but different kind of Christmas stories. Most, it's it's actually kind of cool. Jenny's a great storyteller, and a great topic about a different kind of game called Saki. And um, it's kind of fun during the holiday season. You can play with your family and enjoy the time together because, you know, that's really most important about holidays. Jenny's a great storyteller, so let's jump right into the interview. Welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Oh, Joe, thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Well, I know we're going to talk about the most first Christmas, but what is, how was your Christmas with your kids when you were, they were younger? How, did, how, did that, how was that? Oh, my goodness. Um, I grew up in a fairly poor family. So when I was able to give my my kids what I call the good housekeeping, you know, <laughs> front page December issue, Martha Stewart Christmas, man, I did. And I, I was able to go and decorate our two-story staircase that you could see windows all from the street up and down for two two stories of lights and Christmas trees. It was just uh, my kids say I made it magical. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing you remember about that's family time together and the lights and the tinsel on the tree. I mean, I've got, I always, I always thought that when you had the tinsels around the tree, when I was younger and Christmas morning, I didn't know when I was a kid. And, uh, all of a sudden next morning, mother threw like the, the garland or the, the stuff that looks like you throw it on. looks like the tinsel melted. It was always a cool experience in Christmas and always smelled that because we only had real trees. So we could smell the, um, the pine needles, oh, that, that, and then after that, the tree was like dry as dry as um, dirt. And yeah, throw it up because we couldn't, and all, all the pine needles fall everywhere, even like after Christmas. Yeah, one of my favorite um, stories is my kids got to school age, and they came to me, and they they would bring their friends, and they go, "Oh, you still believe in Santa Claus?" I go, "Absolutely, I believe in Santa Claus." Um, why why wouldn't you believe in Santa Claus? And uh, so my kids um, were were really good believers for for a long time and did not get skeptical as they grew older because they pulled a trick on me one year. There was always one present that only Santa Claus would bring them so that, you know, my ex and I would would tell the kids, oh, no, you've got enough of those Legos or you're not getting a Lego set. Or would there be something that we would agree on that we were going to say no to? And so they came to me one year and they go, okay, mom, we want two white mice. And I go, you want two white mice for Christmas? Yes. <laughs> and in retrospect, they said it was the one thing that if 
I, if Santa would bring them two white mice, because they knew I would not, absolutely would not, mom's not having mice in this house, that there truly was a Santa Claus. And so sure enough, I went out for my lunch, brought back to work, sat it on my desk, a little carton with a, a part of a potato so they could have some something to eat and get wouldn't get thirsty all afternoon. Um, two little white mice. And of course, they were under the tree Christmas morning. And my kids jumped up and down, screamed, running around the house, carrying these little box with the mice in it, going, there's a Santa Claus, there's a Santa Claus. And I said, oh, gosh. So I got a lot more years out of that fun than most people did because those little stinkers they they knew how to get me going you know they were testing you they're really testing you. they were <laughs> <laughs> oh well fun times it was fun times yeah. one thing is um maybe is that inspiration to your book um the mouse keeper christmas well uh, my undergraduate degree was in child development research psychology and one of the things that bothers me about the elf on the shelf is that it's spying on the kids and it's a it's a toy the kids aren't allowed to play with neither one of those made any sense to me and so i wanted to come up with an activity for the kids to do from thanksgiving eve to christmas eve that that allowed them to do the play not the not the mom and dad <laughs> so which and the the mice can only be um taken care of between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve by mouse keepers. And every mouse keeper must be on the nice list to begin with, or they're not allowed to be a mouse keeper. So we actually have a certificate on our website that you can get from Santa Claus saying, are you a certif certified to be on the nice list? And they can frame that and put that up in their, their bedroom and show that, yes, they are on the nice list. Therefore, they can be a mouse keeper. And we were getting a lot of uh, feedback from that last year. Somebody said, well, what if what if they're not on the nice list? So we created another one that's also available on the website with the lump of coal in a stocking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so you're certified that you're on the naughty list. And I thought, what fun that would be for somebody to give it to a bad boss or something. Or even a good good boss is a joke, you know. <laughs> like a nice party party gift or something like that. Because you, right. you always have those swaps that everybody gets those gifts. You're like, I don't want that. I got a I got a bag of coal. That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we we've taken an activity um, and created it in in the story of a mousekeeper Christmas, which won um, an award, best of Los Angeles for best children's Christmas book, twenty seventeen. We're proud of that, and we we actually. Um, not only have the book in one version, which is for advanced readers, but we also have it in, in a, a much fewer version, um, much fewer words version. Um, so we call that the early reader version, um, just to make sure that, that a, a younger child wasn't left out of the experience. Because the when you open it up, of course, the younger kid wants to look at the beautiful pictures. We all do. And then um, we we note that they see all those words and they want to turn the page before you get done reading all the words. So the early version is, is adapted for that anxious one who wants to see the next picture. <laughs> so you can try to get the story out as quick as you can. But, um, so we've had success with that as well. And then we, we, um, the story goes that uh, those people who are on the nice list and want to be, and it's not just children, adults can, I'm, I'm a mouse keeper. I, I, um, they actually take, these little vacationing mice um, every year myself as a way to help Santa out because Santa was having toy production problems and these toy production problems uh, were, were so severe that he and the head elves 
shortbread is one of the head elves had a conversation about it and said oh goodness what are we going to do this year because the naughty list every year are drying up and the kids more and more kids in the world are showing up on the nice list so last year they barely made enough toys for the Christmas and they're afraid every year as these naughty lists continue the trend is that they continue to dry up what are they going to do with these the, the toy production so um a brainiac little six-year-old, Sarah, looks at Santa's data and realizes that when mice, the North Pole mice, take a nap, toy production increases. So she got this idea that the mice should go on a vacation. <laughs> now, a lot of people don't even know that every North Pole toy-making elf has at least one pet mouse. And it's just part of the North Pole tradition, but it's one of those stories very few people hear about. They're very close to their pet mice, and it, it they will not let them go on vacation unless it, there's a unanimous vote. So there's a couple little little troublemaker elves that don't give a unanimous vote, and that causes Santa some problems. So you have to see how Santa fixes all his issues, and he and Sarah do the whole logistics on how they're going to get these mice down there and how they're going to bring them back on Christmas Eve. So the story goes that these little mice originally helped test the toys, but then they ended up breaking more than helping now. So that's why toy production is, is critical that these mice go somewhere else during Thanksgiving Eve to Christmas Eve. Well, Santa scratches his head and he says, Sarah, how am I gonna get this infestation all the way to all the kids around the world? Who could possibly do that in one night? And one of the head elves, probably shortbread, you know, <laughs> looks at Santa and winks and goes, come on, Santa, you do that every Christmas Eve. I go, oh, I could do that, couldn't I? Now, Santa takes his sleigh out every Thanksgiving Eve to do a test drive, and he's got to get down to the stores and the malls, and he, you know, he's got to be there for the parades. So he's making that trip anyway. Why does Sini fill the sleigh up with all the mice and then they can parachute out of the sleigh and pick a house that they like and that's where they'll stay from Thanksgiving Eve to Christmas Eve. Well, the kids who want to be a mouse keeper attract the, their mouse by putting out a plate of stinky cheese. <laughs> Gorgon, Gorgonzola works really good. And you put that on a hearth or near an open window and a mouse will parachute into your house and you will get to play with them the whole Christmas season. A lot of kids like to name their mouse a, a candy name or a cookie name that starts with the letter of their name. Like I'm Jenny. So I call my mouse that comes back every year, Jelly Bean. Well, it's, um, it's an interesting, it's, it's um, different than the um, elf on the shelf and actually get interact with the, um, the mouse, right? Mm -hmm. They are literally, there are four mouse keeping rules. One of them is you have to take the mouse to bed with you every night. The mice are nocturnal, though, and they'll get up in the middle of the night after you go to sleep. They'll purr you to sleep, and they'll go find something to eat, and then they'll fall asleep wherever it is that their tummy got full, and they go to sleep. You have to get up in the morning and try to find your mouse. Now, the other rule is do not feed the mice because they're going to stuff themselves every night anyway. The third rule is you must play hide and seek with them. 
at <laughs> least once a day. It's their favorite game. So the kids can hide the little mouse and then you got to go find it. And it's just a lot of fun. I have found my mouse in my pantry eating my chocolate. I have found him in my refrigerator drawer having a little tuna sandwich. He's been everywhere, including in my shoe, in my stocking over the fireplace. He's been uh, just about everywhere you can imagine that mouse could be. And he's just a lot of fun. Um, and I enjoy getting up every morning and getting to find where my mouse is. One thing interesting I'd like to ask you is, um, have, but the book's been off a little while. Has he any responses, like response from parents, any reviews, talking about how a fun experience this is? Yes. Um, in fact, I was really, uh, since it's kind of new and we're a small company and don't don't get to advertise a whole lot. Um, I was so excited when a friend says, oh, I'm buying them for my nephews this year for Christmas. I want the certificates. I want this. I want the whole bit. And when she went to give them to her, her nephews, they said, oh, we've heard about this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So word is getting out slowly but surely, you know, and that's on me to try to get the word out better. Well, um, also, too, is I'm wondering about your publishing company, uh, Crazy Redhead Publishing. How did that come about? That sounds very interesting. <laughs> well, um, number one, I'm a redhead, and and people who know me call me a, a bit of a nut. So I thought it was best to just warn folks that you know we have two redheads here running this company from the start. The way it got got started was I have written twelve, ten or twelve, I lost track screenplays, and I would be pitching these to Hollywood executives. Uh, you pay you know, $40, $35, and you get eight minutes to talk with a Hollywood exec. And you pitch your story and you see whether or not they're interested or not. Well, a lot of people like my stories, but they said, oh, it should be a book first. Well, I got so tired of hearing that. I created Crazy Redhead Publishing on July 2nd, 2015 to be the vehicle for me to transform my screenplays into books. And I've done that for three so far. What are the three um, three screenplays you? Uh, what are the three of them you were talking about? Yeah, New Shoes for Elizabeth is a tween age chapter book with um, illustrations at the beginning of each chapter, and it is a story um, based on my my family's oral history. My mother was thirteen years old and living through the depression. They had the most unfortunate things happened to them that Christmas, and it's the story of how she and my grandmother. And my my great aunt and uncle made it their best Christmas ever. And you would never imagine that out of what happened. It was a tragedy. My grandfather had um, all the fingers removed from his one hand in a thrashing accident. Oh. And it threw this poor sharecropping family from poverty into like, I mean, there was nothing in the, in the shelves to eat one night. And my grandmother got up. And she went to my great-grandfather's house and begged for food, which he refused to give them. He's the villain of the, the story. Mm-hmm. But it all turns out a happy ending. It's a Christmas story with a happy ending. And that's New Shoes for Elizabeth. Then there's the Mousekeeper story that you've already heard about. And then the third book um, is Tiananmen West. And that's about the Kent State Massacre. And it's my only nonfiction book. That book is... Um, it took me about three decades of research to, to get published. <laughs> so those are the three pitches so far. And then I, the, the list of screenplays, you know, there's one about Handel mm-hmm. uh, that I hope to make into uh, a book someday. 
and there's one about reincarnation, which is my my dissertation topic. So I'm very interested in that. And again, there's the one about the haunting of, of this house that I live in right now. So two Christmas stories and one nonfiction. <laughs> when I go to book signings, people look at my my table and they go, wait a minute, are you a bit psycho lady? You've got <laughs> massacre on one side and kids' Christmas books on the other. <laughs> but you sound like a very, very busy, very, very busy person. I, I love to to be busy. We, we come from a family with high energy levels. So if we're not busy, we're wondering what is it we should have been doing. Yeah. Well, the next thing I want to talk about is your card game, um, Saki or Soki? Saki, yes. Saki, just, like the, <laughs> yeah, just like the drink, S-A-K-I, only for children, we, we store it in a sock and call it Saki. Yeah. Sorry. Um, how did that come about? That sounds like very interesting because you have all kinds of card games like Uno, and you can play Fish with a regular deck of cards. What is different about this game? This game, it, I, again, the undergraduate degree comes to play in the child development. We love the game, but to play it as a family, and you want to get the youngest players possible in in the family gaming. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So a regular deck of cards is how I was taught how to play this game, and it was originally called Shanghai. I was 17 years old, and uh, it was my uh, future brother-in-law who was teaching it to my sister and our family because it was a game his family always played. And uh, it was a two, double deck, two decks, two poker decks of cards, and yet young children in the family are very confused with the Jack, King, Queen, Ace, what that's all about. And it's confusing as well because you've got – Two, two colors when there are four suits. So what I did was I transformed the deck itself with my own artwork into four suits. There's a pagoda, there's a lady, and each one of them has a, a color associated with it. So it's not just the picture is different for colorblind people, but the actual um, is, pictures are, are colored different and have different borders so that a colorblind person can play the game. So there's, you know, attention to detail with me is trying to make as many people comfortable playing my game as possible. So with children, it was taking out the face cards and ace and making it one through 12. And then we added a special card called a happy card, which has a little Chinese symbol on it. And that card has a unique characteristic in the game. It plays differently to add many twists to how the game goes. Otherwise, it's a gin rummy kind of a game. A lot of people liken it to rummy cube with cards or oh, they'll go, oh, I play this kind of gin called this or this kind of gin rummy game called that. And there are elements of gin rummy in it. You play uh, same suit runs or you play piles of cards. Now, the fun of sake comes in is as you make these plays, you put them out on the table your playing surface, and they're open to anyone. There's no personal meld going on. Every card that's played, once it's on the table, belongs to everybody. And you can rearrange what's out there so that you can play a card from your hand because the, the goal is to get you know all, all your cards gone first. But you have to leave at least three cards in every pile. So if there's a one, two, three, four uh, run on the table, and you have two fours in your hand, you can steal that four because you leave the one, two, three in the pile and make a new pile of fours and get rid of two cards from your hand. So it, it, the possibilities are endless. 
no game is ever similar to the last one. And it really makes you think strategically. One time I had to move like eight cards to make a play, one play. So it, it, the, it engages the adults, but the kids learn by watching what the adults are doing. So if you, if you can count to 12, you, you're in the game. But they may just be playing a pile of fours or a one, two, three run. And then they'll watch what the adults do and go, I can steal that and do that. I can do, <laughs> I can do that. And you see them pick the game up very quickly by just playing with the adults and seeing the, the variety of the moves that they can make. And by the age of, of eight and eight and nine, oh, I, after one hand, they've got it. They're teaching the other kids. Um, the youngest we've ever taught so far is six, but the, the four-year-old we tried to teach was more interested in everything else that was going on. So sitting and playing cards was not what she wanted to do. <laughs> well, one thing, well, when you're talking about this game and stuff, I wonder what it, what it teaches the younger kids when they're learning coming up. I know that Dallas, we understand it, but what is the younger? What are they teaching the younger kids? Well, young gameplay in and of itself teaches kids following rules, waiting for your turn, all the kinds of social skills that gameplay plays a part in teaching are there as well. The other thing is just the strategy of, oh, you can make five or six moves just to play one card, and that layered thinking that step-by-step strategy uh the logistics of how this card is going to get played is a developmental thing and you can watch children play it and and i'm, I'm amazed my great-granddaughter was nine when we taught her how to play the game and after two hands she was teaching everybody else <laughs> come on sit down you're gonna like this game get over here let's <laughs> not, i'm gonna teach it to you so they pick up on on the complexities so quickly, but I don't want to leave the four, five, and six-year-olds out either. So they're at the table playing, going, how did you do that? And they're learning while they watch you. And it keeps the family together instead of everyone behind their own personal screen. Big thing put, nowadays. <laughs> put the phone down. Even with me, put the phone down and spend time with these people you're sitting here with, you know? Well, it's, I guess it's a great thing, too, as when you get as an adult, be able to strategically think, think out problems. And this game kind of teaches how to think out, you know, think problems out and try to strategize how you're going to get the numbers and win the game. Exactly. So I think that's a pretty interesting um, way of teaching the kids, too. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer in playing games. I grew up in a family of game players, and there are so many life's lessons you learn playing a game around a table with your family um, that are invaluable. You take those into adult life that I have to wait my turn. I have to follow the rules. I, you know, certain things are just the way it's done. <laughs> well, it's nice having that parents here too, or they, and adults like your, it could be your parents, it could be your uncle, it could be your grandmother, because we lose that connection, especially being with all the screens in our face all the time. We lose that connection. I'm just as bad as anybody else, <laughs> but it's spend time with the kids. That's the things they're going to remember as an, as, yeah. like, as an adult. Like we us. were big. We, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I want to know you say. I apologize. Go ahead. Um, we were a big camping family, and every once in a while, we'd get up north and we're camping, and rain comes, and I'm bored, Mom. What do we do? I go. I would always have games with me. We were always teaching them how to play. One time, it was so bad. 
we we love to do these end of October campouts, and they they could be cold, but this one was so windy that it was you just couldn't even go out and enjoy the beach. It was brutal, and uh, we would camp on our our aft cabin boat on its trailer, and the wind was actually you could feel it lift the boat off the trailer. And I'm going, okay, we're staying in today. Uh, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I'm going to teach you how to play poker. And so I pulled out a a bag of dried beans and that was their their money that they were betting and I taught my kids how to play poker they were about oh I'd say nine and ten <laughs> and uh, they called it bean poker from then on and every camp out we ever had everybody had to come and play bean poker and at the end of the game especially when they turned teenagers uh, you would be pelted with dried beans but you know it was just part of our camping experience from then on out you know well, but wrapping up, I guess on um, this, I would um, one thing parting advice about you know Christmas, how to spend you know Christmas and maybe spending time with family. What is your thought? Well, the the main thing about Christmas for me is um, getting together. How many different times can you get together to share the experience with the family? It's not just all about the gifts. It's about the cookie exchanges. It's about the caroling parties. It's about you know karaoke jingle bells. I mean, it's just doing stuff together as many times as you can, sitting around the fire, having some mores in the living room, whatever the heck you can think of to enjoy the togetherness. That's the most important thing. And when I, my best friend and I were of childbearing years and we had these little ones, we were sitting around bemusing what was the most important thing. And Karen and I came up with this. When it came to raising children, traditions would be what was most important to us. Well, and also where they can connect, where they can find you, if they want to connect with you, um, talk more about your your book, A Mouse Cuba's Christmas, or about the card game, Saki, where they can connect with you. Oh, we have a couple ways to connect with us. Um, one is our website www.crazyredheadpublishing.com and all of our products are out there but you can also go onto my YouTube channel Jenny Deason Copeland just search on my name and you will find an eight minute video that teaches you how to play the game Saki you can also you can buy all of our products off our website if you're wondering where they're available. And there are free things on our website as well. Each of the children's books has a free downloadable coloring book. So those I encourage people to go out and download. Um, also, my nonfiction book has um, all of my Freedom of Information Act requests and replies um, on Tiananmen West. Those are also free on the website. So make yourself available on the free stuff. But it the website also will will be glad to um, take an order from you for the books as well as uh, the mousekeeper gift set we have that it comes with a little little mouse and a parachute and the, the whole nine yards. Everything you would need to become a mousekeeper is in that gift set, including the book. Now, the other thing that we have out on YouTube is book trailers for every one of our books. If you go, well, I, I've been to the website. I don't think I know enough about these books yet. What else can I do? Well, you can go out to the YouTube, Jenny Deason Copeland, and you can watch a book trailer for every one of our books. Well, thanks, Jen. Thanks for being on the podcast today. I really do appreciate it, and I really thank you. Oh, thank you for having me, Joe. We'll wrap it up. That's all I want to say. Thank you, Jenny, for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about her over at crazyredheadpublishing.com. You can find all links in the show notes over at nocityonthesideline.com slash 74. 
please reach out, leave a comment, any questions, or just want to say hello. You know what? I got a great idea. In this episode, Jane talks about naming your mouse. You take the first letter and you name like a candy. My first letter, my name is Jay for Joe. I was thinking, hmm, how about Jawbreaker? My mouse name is Jawbreaker. This just sounds like a cool name. Jawbreaker. <laughs> Let me hear yours. I'd like to hear yours. Leave it in the show notes or the comment or the Facebook somewhere, and we could share all our mouse's names. That'd be kind of fun. Well, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of the year, and I want to wish you and your family a happy holiday. I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. God bless. Give kids a hug. And tell them much you love. See ya. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media.